You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jangda. Qalam is pleased to announce the Sira Intensive, a two-week program studying the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Visit sirahintensive.com for more information. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sorry for just the wait. We, I was just waiting for the brothers. A couple of brothers were praying, so I didn't want to disturb them. Um, Insha'Allah, we're going to continue with our study of the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the last couple of sessions, we've been talking about the events uh, leading up to the Battle of Badr. The circumstances preceding the Battle of Badr. This is the second year of prophethood, uh, second year of Hijrah, excuse me. This is the second year of Hijrah, the second year of the Prophet's residence in the city of Medina. It is the month of Ramadan, about the midway point of the month of Ramadan. And what we've talked about so far is, of course, <clears throat> uh, a couple of months before that, there was the. Um, campaign of Dhul Ushayra. Dhul Ushayra referred to Abu Sufyan along with a huge caravan that was taking a bunch of investments on behalf of the people of Mecca was on its way to Sham for trade and business. The Prophet ﷺ with a group of Muslims tried to intercept that caravan and the caravan was able to make it through without the Muslims being able to intercept it. The Prophet ﷺ at that time said, we will wait for them to come back. They are heading back now, it is about the midway point of the month of Ramadan. And that's when the Prophet ﷺ sets out towards um, the caravan. In the meantime, Abu Sufyan re- receives word that the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims are coming to receive the caravan, intercept the caravan. He sends the word to Mecca, which basically leads to the Meccans, um, you know, all of a sudden in an emergency, getting an army together to come and fight the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. <clears throat> the Prophet ﷺ is similarly on his way, and We've talked kind of about how the Quraysh are on their way, the Prophet ﷺ is on his way, and this is the point where we've reached right now. So as the Prophet ﷺ was on his way, he had sent out, some narrations say before they left Medina, they sent out two people, um, Basbasa and another individual, and uh, another narration says that he sent them out once he had left Medina. In either case, some scholars have reconciled it by saying that he sent them out before he left Medina, they went, they came back and met the Muslims, the Muslim army, after they had left Medina, and then the Prophet ﷺ sent them back out to go and still investigate in the region, in the area. This is around the time that the, they reach back to the Prophet ﷺ and they inform him, along with the fact that the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims came across some other people, just local indigenous Bedouins that were in the area, <clears throat> asked them about Abu Sufyan, and they started getting information. There's an incident specifically that's mentioned that they come across uh, a couple of people who are there um, bringing camels to a watering hole, basically to come and get some water. The Prophet is praying and the Muslims, they come across these two individuals or this one person, one narration says, and they ask him, tell us about Abu Sufyan. And he says that, Mali ilmun bi Abi Sufyan. I don't know anything about any Abu Sufyan. <clears throat> and the narration says that they start kind of like beating him. 
And then he says, but I can tell you about Utbah, I can tell you about Abu Jahal, I can tell you about, you know, Umayyah bin Khalaf, I can tell you. And he starts naming all the other leaders of Quraysh. And they say, but what, can you tell us about Abu Sufyan? He goes, yes, yes, I'll tell you something about Abu Sufyan. Then when they again ask him about Abu Sufyan, then he says, I don't know anything about Abu Sufyan. And then they start beating him again. And again, he tells them, well, I can tell you about all these other people. And this kind of keeps on going on. And the Prophet ﷺ is praying during this time. When he finishes his prayer, the Prophet ﷺ turns to him and tells him, stop. Stop beating him, leave him. And then the Prophet ﷺ tells him that when he tells you the truth, you beat him. And when he tells you a lie, then you leave him. It's not making any sense. And around that time, the two uh, scouts that the Prophet ﷺ had sent, they come back to the Prophet ﷺ and inform him that Abu Sufyan might be coming, that's fine. But there is a huge army of Meccans that is headed this way. That is when the Prophet ﷺ stops, along with the Muslim army, there's about 313 of them. And the Prophet ﷺ basically consults them. He can, uh, conducts a bit of a meeting. <clears throat> and so, فَاسْتَشَارَ nas. The Prophet ﷺ, he asks them for advice. Shura, istasharahum وَأَخْبَرَهُمْ عَنْ Quraysh. And the Prophet ﷺ tells them about Quraysh. Look, an army of Quraysh is coming. You have this information. Now tell me, what do you think? فَقَامَ أَبُوْ بَكْرَ السِّدِّيقِ فَقَالَ وَأَحْسَنَ Abu Bakr as-Siddiq stands up, addresses not only the Prophet but the rest of the Muslims like encouraging them. And he says very good things and beautiful things and the Prophet approves of what he says. But at the same time, that's not really what the Prophet was looking for. Because Abu Bakr of course has been there since day one, that's not a question. Um, then Umar, then again the Prophet says, asks, inquires, who else has something to say? Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he stands up, addresses the people and says some very, you know, very admirable things, says some very good things. And again, the Prophet ﷺ appreciates him, but again, it seems very obvious from the Prophet ﷺ, it's not quite what he's looking for. So again, he inquires, does anyone else have anything else to say? It is around this time that a couple of people from the Ansar, al-Miqdad ibn al-Aswad, um, another one is Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, another one is Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhum. These three individuals are not only from the Ansar, they are Medinan Muslims, but at the same time they are leaders of their tribes in Medina. They are leaders of the Medinan community. They stand up. And Al-Miqdad ibn Al-Aswad is one of the first people to stand up. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, imdi lima arakallah. فَنَحْنُ مَعَكَ وَاللَّهِ لَا نَقُولُ لَكَ كَمَا قَالَ بَنُوا إِسْرَائِيلِ لِمُوسَى إِذْهَبْ أَنْتَ وَرَبُّكَ فَقَاتِلَا إِنَّهَا هُنَا قَاعِدُونَ لَكِنْ إِذْهَبْ أَنْتَ وَرَبُّكَ فَقَاتِلَا إِنَّمَا مَعَكُمَا مُقَاتِلُونَ فَوَالَّذِينَ بَعَثَكَ بِالْحَقِّ لَوْ سِرْتَ بِنَا إِلَى بَرْكِ الْغِمَادِ لَجَالَدْنَا مَعَكَ مِنْ مَنْ دُونَهُ حَتَّى تَبْلُغَهُ He says to the Prophet ﷺ, O Messenger of Allah, you go as Allah has shown you. Meaning you do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told you to do because we are with you. We are with you every step of the way. And he swears by Allah that 
He quotes something from the Quran and he says, We will not say to you, as Banu Israel said to Musa السلام, that you and your Lord go and fight. When Allah when the Banu Israel, and this is referencing an ayah from the Quran, that Banu Israel had told Musa السلام, we would like a place to be able to live, a place to be able to settle, a place that would be fruitful and abundant, and a home for our community. After Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had, fleed, uh, had freed them from the clutches of Fir'aun. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired to Musa السلام, that's fine. Go, tell them to enter such and such town, such and such city. And as soon as they enter, Allah will grant them victory. And it said that there was a people there by the name of Amalika, Qawm Amalika. They were basically very big, strong, powerful people. But Allah had already guaranteed them victory. They will basically walk into the city and the city will be yours. They will surrender to you. This was a promise for Allah, Nusra min Allah, help from Allah. And Banu Israel, as soon as Musa السلام, told them this, the Quran says that they said, Idhab anta wa rabbuk. You and your Lord, you and your Allah can go and fight. Faqatila, you go fight. Inna hahuna qa'idun. We will stay sitting right here. You say the city is ours, then go, you go with your Allah into the city, gain victory over the city, and then let us know when we should come because we're not about to go engage in any type of conflict. Right, this was the response that they gave and Allah reprimanded them for this response. <clears throat> and in fact, it is said that the wandering in the valley for 40 years that Banu Israel had to endure, the wandering in the valley of Tih, that they had to endure was after this incident when they had shown such blatant disrespect to the Prophet of Allah Musa alayhi salam. And some narrations say that that occurred prior to this and was actually at this particular incident that Musa alayhi salam basically asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَفْرُقْ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَ الْقَوْمِ الْفَاسِقِينَ That Allah separate me from these people, I cannot deal with these people anymore and shortly thereafter Musa alayhi salam passed away. Nevertheless, he references that incident and he said, we will not say to you as Banu Israel said to Musa السلام, that you and your Lord go and fight, we will sit right here. Rather, he says, Lakin, rather, idhab anta wa rabbuka You and your master go and fight, inna ma'akuma muqatilun, because we will come and fight with you. We will come and fight behind you. We will come and fight with you. He says, I swear to the one, I swear by the one who sent you with the truth, meaning I swear by Allah, even if you were to walk with us to Barkil Ghimad. Barkil Ghimad is basically described as a place that is beyond Makkah. As a place beyond Makkah, basically on the shore of the ocean. That if you were to take us to what would be to them the ends of the earth, if you took us to the ends of the earth, the end of Al Jazeera Tul Arab, right? Jazeera Tul Arab, Al Jazeera Tul Arabiya. If you took us to the end of the Arabian Peninsula, we would go with you. And not only that, we would fight anyone that would stand between you and the shore. If you wanted to go to the shore, we would go with you to the shore and fight everyone and anyone between here and there until you reached wherever you wanted to reach, Ya Rasulullah. So he says this to the Prophet. After that, the Prophet ﷺ, he makes, he says, he appreciates him and makes dua for him. Makes dua for him. <clears throat> then the Prophet ﷺ stands up 
And he says, Ashiru alayya ayyuhan nas. O people, tell me what you think about going and fighting the Quraysh. Tell me what you think. Right? He kind of insists, he pushes the issue. And specifically, the reason why he pushes the issue is he wants to hear from more of the Ansar. He wants to hear from the leadership of the Ansar. And there's a reason for this. Because, and I mentioned this uh, when we talked about this before the Hijrah, the Aqaba, the Bay'atul Aqaba, basically the second oath of allegiance that the Medinan Muslims had given to the Prophet. ﷺ. The third meeting of Muslims at the Prophet, the third meeting the Prophet ﷺ was having with people from that region. Right before the Prophet ﷺ migrated from Mecca to Medina at the, at the time of Hajj. Um, and that, at that time when not only did uh, another 70 plus people give the oath of allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ appointed 12 leaders within their community, but the agreement also occurred at that point in time that I'm going to start sending Muslims to you, and I eventually, when the permission from Allah comes, will migrate from Makkah to Medina and come and join your community in Medina. At that time, they agreed to certain terms. What will be the obligations upon the community of Medina, the Muslims in Medina, in terms of hosting the Prophet ﷺ and being the headquarters of Islam? What would be their responsibility? Because the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib, who was very sympathetic towards Islam at this time, but had not become Muslim yet, but obviously he had a very soft spot in his heart for his beloved nephew, Muhammad ﷺ, he came to this meeting. Being a non-Muslim, he came to the meeting. And he came there specifically to tell them that this is not just some, you know, nice big happy moment. Yes, we love you and you love us. And, you know, you, you come to Medina and we'll all be happy together and pray together and live together. He said, it's not this simple. You have to understand what exactly is at stake. The people of Mecca has sworn to destroy him and his religion and his followers. And they will stop at nothing. And if you people support him, and in fact welcome him into your city, and, and I know him, he's not going to stop preaching. It's not that, that now he has a safe place to go and live with his followers, that he's going to live there very calmly and peacefully and worship and pray the rest of his days. No, he's on a mission. He's going to keep preaching. And the people in Mecca are not going to stop opposing his preaching. And this is bound to come to conflict. This is going to result in serious conflict. And when that conflict happens, I need to know that you'll have his back. Because you see, you might not think that we've done a very good job of protecting him. When you look at the situation in Mecca, you might not think we've done a good job protecting him. But what you don't know is that we have protected him against all odds. My brother died, he, he died and with his very last breath, he defended our nephew. He never left his side, he supported him till his last breath, refer, referencing Abu Talib. And similarly, me and my family, we lived in three years of isolation and boycott, being ostracized by our own community for his sake. So we've done whatever we needed to do. I need to know that you'll do whatever you're, you can do. And so at that time, certain things had to be agreed to. Certain things had to be written down. This was a contract. This was an agreement. This was a pact. An allegiance. And part of that allegiance and that pact was that they specifically said 
inna bura'u min dhimamika hatta tasila ila diyarina fa idha wasalat fa idha wasalta ilayna fa anta fi dhimmatina namna'uka mimma namna'u minhu abna'ana wa nisa'ana they had said that we do not take responsibility for any previous you know uh, grievances somebody might have against you we're not responsible for any previous type of conflict or uh, enemies that you might have we're not responsible for that until they arrive at our doorstep if they arrive at our doorstep we will defend you and we will be with you and we'll fight you we'll we mean we'll fight with you we'll fight by your side we'll do whatever it takes but if you go out in pursuit of a conflict with anyone that you've had conflict with before you met us that has nothing to do with us now again when we sit here because we're talking about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that sounds a little offensive maybe even to us like why why wouldn't you defend the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam till the ends of the earth why wouldn't you fight with him till the end you have to understand at the same time that these people just accepted islam they just accepted islam they have just become muslim they have just accepted islam and laid their eyes on the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam they haven't even stood and prayed a salah by the side of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam yet many of them so to them this is all very new to them this is all very new and at the same time what you have to remember is that these 60 70 people who give who are there sitting at this meeting the majority of medina has still not accepted Islam yet they still don't know how everyone else is going to feel about this what their own situation is going to be so they're also hesitant to speak on their entire community's behalf so there's a lot of different dynamics here you have to appreciate nevertheless that is what was said on that night back then but the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam who is you know obviously to say the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is a man of his word is a huge understatement The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the most truthful human being that has ever lived that has ever walked of his he is the most honest trustworthy person that has ever lived and so the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam being a man of his word the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is very conscious of the fact that look I understand that these ansar these Medinan Muslims are not obligated to go way out here outside of Medina and go fi- they left Mac- they left medina under the premise we were just going to go and intercept the caravan and reclaim a lot of what is rightfully belonging to the makkan muslims right we're just going to intercept the caravan but now the situation has completely changed now we're about to go fight an army where the odds are 3 to 1 close to 4 to 1 right so it has completely changed the situation So and our previous agreement that we agreed to I agreed to was that they are not obligated to fight in this type of a situation. So I can't storm into battle taking for granted that yeah of course they're going to fight with me. No 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 that's not fair. And so and I should also clarify I haven't kind of mentioned this yet the books of hadith and the books of sirah mention imam bukhari rahimahullahu ta'ala he mentions in his sahih that there were about 313 muslims in the battle of badr and he says about 76 of them were muhajirun 70 6 of them are muhajirun 
which means that 240 of them, nearly 230 something of them, are from the Ansar, 240 something of them are from the Ansar. So it's majority of them are from the Ansar. Right, huge, nearly three out of every four Muslims belong to the group of the Ansar. And so the Prophet being very conscious of this fact says, I have to make sure they're okay with this. So he stands up even after Al-Miqdad ibn Aswad speaks in support of the Prophet He stands up, and he says, Ashiru nas O people, advise me. Tell me what you think. He was basically specifically aiming at the Ansar. And that is when Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, excuse me, Sa'ad ibn Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he stands up. And he addresses the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the presence of everyone who is there. And the Prophet he says that, Wallahi laka annaka turiduna ya Rasulullah. Sa'ad bin Mu'ad stands up and he says that, I swear to Allah, it seems as if you are specifically asking us, meaning the Ansar, O Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet says, Ajal, absolutely. That is exactly what I'm trying to find out from what they think. And he says, فَقَدْ آمَنَّا بِكْ We believed in you. وَصَدَّقْنَاكَ And we testify to your truthfulness. And we testify to the fact that everything you've informed us is the truth. And based off of that truth, we swore to you that we will obey you. We hear, we listen and we obey. We will, we will listen to you and obey you. So you do whatever you have to do, whatever you have been shown, O Messenger of Allah, by Allah, because we are with you. Because I swear by the one who sent you with the truth, the same truth that we believe in and that we, we have testified to. That if you took us to the edge of the sea, the ocean, and you dove into the ocean, we would dive into the ocean behind you. My friend spoke about going to the seashores with you. Forget about that. If you dove into the ocean, we would, dove into, we would dive into the ocean behind you. And I know my people, I know my people so well, I can swear to you, I can stand here and attest to you, and testify to you, and say to you, that not a single person from my people would remain behind. All of them would come. We don't mind going and fighting our enemy tomorrow. And that's the beauty of his statement. He didn't say, Aduwak, your enemy. He said, Aduwana, they are our enemy. If they are your enemy, they are our enemy. O Messenger of God, you know that we are people that are resilient in battle. Right? The people of Medina, Aus and Khazraj, they were famous. They had fought wars for hundreds of years. Amongst themselves, Aus and Khazraj had like a, a hundred year old, a century year old long kind of a grudge going on between them. They had been fighting one another within one city. They had a civil war that went on for a hundred. We are resilient in battle. We don't get tired of fighting. 
right? And we are truthful at the time of battle, meaning we are tried and tested. We are tried and tested. He says that we hope that Allah will give us the opportunity to show you in the battlefield what we're made of. And it will bring you great happiness to see. It will bring you great happiness to see how strong and resilient and reliable we are. So he says, so you go forward with the blessing of Allah and we will follow you. So the narration says, The Prophet was extremely pleased to hear what Sa'ad bin Mu'ad had to say and it encouraged the Prophet So he said, He said, walk forward and have receive you know, congratulations. Go forward and congratulations. Because Allah has promised me one of the two groups. Either we will receive, either we will intercept the caravan, or we will defeat the army. One of two things will happen. Either we will intercept the caravan or defeat the army. He said that I swear to Allah, it is as if I can see where the other people will fall. Like I can see their defeat before me. And there are a bunch of narrations. Um, in many books of hadith, it's mentioned in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari, in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, in one other narration, Miqdad uh, bin Aswad, the earlier one who had spoken, he says to the Prophet ﷺ, We will fight from on the right of you and on the left of you, from in front of you and even from behind you. Right? And this brought great happiness to the Prophet ﷺ to find that they were such that they were so dedicated and that they were willing to stand by the Prophet ﷺ no matter what would happen. So after this point on, basically, now that the Prophet ﷺ had this confirmation, the Prophet ﷺ, along with all the rest of the army, basically he walked forward and they continued to go forward. As they continue to move forward, the Prophet ﷺ finally came. Um, so now at this particular time, let me kind of switch the scene back over to the Quraysh. Abu Sufyan is traveling with his caravan. He has already sent the word ahead to Mecca that the, you know, the, the, the Muslims are attacking us, come help us. Now he's received the word back that a huge army is marching from Mecca to protect you. And he knows that an army of the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ along with the Muslims is coming as well. What happens with Abu Sufyan is he basically engages a little maneuver to avoid the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. When he engages his little maneuver, he's actually able to avoid the Prophet ﷺ and he's able to make it past them to the point where they cannot intercept him any longer. Once he feels that I'm in a good position to be able to avoid the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, he, tell, he sends the word to the army of Quraysh, the Meccan army, that I have been able to avoid the Muslims, so there's no need now. We are safe, all of our goods are safe, all of our money is safe, all the uh, war investments that we were bringing, everything is safe. 
So now head back to Mecca and we'll see you there in Mecca. Abu Jahal receives the response. Abu Jahal says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are going to go. And we're going to go till we reach the place of Badr. And we will go there and if we meet the Muslims, we'll take care of them. And if we don't meet the Muslims, we're still going to go there and we're going to camp out there. We've brought all these camels to sacrifice like for food. Right? We need to finish all that. We've brought all this wine. Who's going to drink all this wine? We've brought all this entertainment. Well, what are we going to do with all this entertainment? So we're going to go and basically set up like a big carnival. Right? But a huge festival. And we're going to eat and we're going to drink and we're going to party. And if the Muslims show up, we'll take care of them in the meantime. So the arrogance of Abu Jahl. Right? And this is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about. In Surah Al-Anfal specifically, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says um, that, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ بَطَرًا وَرِيَاءَ النَّاسِ Don't be like the people who left their homes arrogantly and to show off to the people about how proud and how powerful they were. And so this was Abu Jahl's response. So they came very willingly. Now the Prophet ﷺ on the other side, he is marching with the Muslims basically to the place close to where the battle took place. They came very close to where the wells of Badr. So they were called the wells of Badr. Right? Badr refers to the full moon and some people have even said that it's because there were these huge wells over there and so when the full moon would come out it would reflect into the water. And so they used to call them the wells of Badr. Alright, so they came very close to the wells of Badr and then they stopped there. At this particular time, the, the Prophet ﷺ basically stopped there. And by the way, I didn't mention that when this message reached, when the message reached uh, Abu Jahl that look, we've made it past them and they're not going to be able to intercept our caravan. Some people from the Quraysh did actually return back to Mecca. One of the, some of them being Banu Hashim, like some of the family members of the Prophet ﷺ, they went back to Mecca um, because they had no interest in basically engaging in this fight. So now the Prophet ﷺ, when he reaches very close to the wells of Badr and he stops there, one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, one of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, um, his name is mentioned to be Hubab ibn al-Munzir. Hubab ibn al-Munzir. Al-Hubab ibn al-Munzir. He says to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, ar-ayta hadha al-manzil, this place where we have stopped. Amanzilan anzalakahu Allahu, laysa lana an nataqaddamahu wa la nataakhara anhu, am huwa al-ra'yu wal-harbu wal-makida. He says, O Messenger of God, if I may be so bold, to ask that this place where you have stopped, is this a place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told you to stop? That we are not allowed to go any forward or to retreat back from this place? Are we not allowed to shift from this position? Or is this just your strategy in terms of war? This is your war strategy. So the Prophet says, Bal wal-makida. Rather, this is a war strategy. This is not wahi, this is not divine revelation. Meaning everything the Prophet ﷺ of course does is by the instruction of Allah, by the approval of Allah. But meaning this is not specifically 
allocated as a specific place that we have to stop, but rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala left it up to me, wherever we would like, to, wherever I would like to stop, we can stop. And so I figured that this looks as good as a place as any. Hubab al-Mundir radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Ya Rasulullah, fa'inna hadha laysa bimanzil. He says, Ya Rasulullah, this is not the best place for us to stop. فَنْضِي بِالنَّاسِ حَتَّى نَأْتِيَ أَدْنَى مَاءٍ مِّنَ الْقَوْمِ Let's continue to go until we get to the very, um, very... We basically reach the place where all the wells are. Let's go and stop at the wells. فَنَنْزِلَهُ We will go to the very last of the wells of Badr. The very, because there was like a long line of wells. We will go to the very last of the wells. ثُمَّ نُغَوِّرُ مَا وَرَاءَهُ مِنَ الْقُلُبِ we will basically, the very some of the very last wells, we will basically fill up those wells. You take a bunch of big rocks, you take a bunch of dirt and you fill them up so that they're not usable anymore. We will go and we will fill up those wells, basically seal those wells so nobody can use them. And then we will retreat back to where there is a cluster of wells. And over there what we will do is we will kind of like build a big fountain, a big pool that we will allow the wells to kind of overflow into so that we have a big pool of water for us. And then we will fight from that position. We will basically fight from in front of that big pool of water that we have you know, built for ourselves. And we will have plenty of water to drink and use, and the enemy will not have any water. Because we will have already made, rendered the wells that are on their side useless. So the Prophet says, لَقَدْ أَشَرْتَ بِالرَّأِي You have a very, very good opinion. This is very good strategy, and that's exactly what they ended up doing. Now, in this situation, um, so, in this particular situation, there's a few things that the scholars mention that are very notable about this particular scenario. By the way, before I even mention that, there's another narration that says that while the Prophet ﷺ started to kind of gather the people back together again, يَجْمَعُ الْأَقْبَاسِ وَجِبْرِيلٌ عَنْ يَمِينِهِ إِذْ أَتَاهُ مَلَكٌ مِنْ مَلَائِكَةٌ Jibreel alayhi salam was on the right side of the Prophet because Jibreel alayhi salam, he was the friend of the Prophet He, it is said about Jibreel alayhi salam, he would accompany all the Prophets into the battlefield. And he accompanied the Prophet into the battlefield every single time. So he is with the Prophet when another angel came. And he said, Ya Muhammad, inna allaha yaqra'u alayka salam. He said, O Messenger of God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends you his salams. The Prophet responded by saying, Huwa salamu wa minhu salamu wa ilayhi salam. Huwa salamu wa minhu salamu wa ilayhi salam. Much like the dua that we make after the prayer is over because we say, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. And the Prophet taught us that we are giving salam to the angels and to everybody else that is praying with us, right? And to all the people. But then what do we say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after we are done with our salams? Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam. Right? Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam. Tabarak tiyad al-jalali wal ikram. One narration says, wa ilayka yarji'u salam. Right? That we say that, oh Allah, you are a salam. Meaning one of the names of Allah. You are the grantor of peace and safety. From you comes peace and safety. Only from you comes peace and safety. And only to you returns back all peace and safety. 
right? And so, in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ specifically tells us that we do not say salam to Allah because He is a salam. فَإِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّلَامُ He is a salam. He is a grantor. Because when you say salam to someone, you are making dua for them. As-salamu alaykum. You are saying, may Allah send His peace and blessings upon you. So you don't say salam to Allah. So when the salam came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet ﷺ taught us, هُوَ السَّلَامُ He is a salam. The grantor of peace and safety. Only from Him comes peace and safety. And only to returns back to Him all peace and safety. Alright? All submission is for him, basically. And so he responds with this. And then the angel says, Inna Allah yaqulu lak. Allah says to you, Inna al-amrahu al-ladhi amaraka bihi al-hubabunun mundir. That what you should do is what al-hubab has suggested you to do. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ Ya Jibreel, هَلْ تَعْرِفُ هَذَا? Oh Jibreel, you know who al-hubabunun mundir is? So he says that ma kullu ahli sama arif. He says not just me, but all the inhabitants of the heavens know who he is. Wa innahu la sadiqun wa ma huwa bi shaytan. He is truthful, and this is not from the shaytan. One, some of the muhaddithun say he was actually referring to the angel. That when the angel specifically come and says the name of Al Hubab al Mundir, Jibril, the Prophet says, Jibril. Can you testify on this angels we have? He says, of course, he is one of the malaika, one of the angels. All of us in the heavens know who this angel is. And he is speaking the truth. This is not a shaitan, this is not a demon trying to lie to us. In either case, right, the testimony was true. And what Al-Hubab al-Mundir radiallahu ta'ala anhu suggested was attested to by an angel and by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what I was trying to mention here was that the scholars mentioned a few fawaid, a few benefits and a few points here that are very powerful. Number one is the fact that Al-Hubab ibn al-Mundir, if you look him up, if you look him up in all the books that document all the Sahaba, the biographies of all the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. Asadul Ghaba fi ma'rifat al-Sahaba. Al-Isaba fi ma'rifat al-Sahaba. If you go and look up in the encyclopedia of all the biographies, biographical information of all the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, the only thing that you will find by the name of Al-Hubab ibn al-Mundir is that he is the companion who suggested the strategy of where the Muslims should position themselves for the Battle of Badr. What does that mean? That means that outside of this particular incident, there, is, there was nothing else memorable about him. Of course, being a Sahabi in and of itself is a huge virtue. We're not saying anything about that. But relatively in that community of the companions, the community of the Sahaba that had notable people like Abu Bakr, and Umar, and Uthman, and Ali, and Aisha, and Umm Salama, and Hafsa, and Zainab, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een, in that community, he was relatively unknown. It's the only time where his name sticks out anywhere in the seerah in the life of the Prophet So that tells you that relatively in that community, he was not a very notable person. He was not a leader of that community. And again, I reiterate only because it is our obligation to do so, as Imam Tahawi ta'ala teaches us in our aqaid, in our aqidah, our point, points of creed and theology and belief, 
that the virtue of the Sahaba is something we believe. We believe them to be virtuous. Allah has spoken about them in the Quran. The Prophet ﷺ multiple times has spoken about their virtue and made dua for them and said, Allah, Allah fi ashabi. La min ba'di gharadan. Nobody should oppose my Sahaba after me. فَمَنَ أَحَبَّهُمْ فَبِحُبِّ أَحَبَّهُمْ That whosoever opposes them, then with my love and adoration and admiration, excuse me, whoever loves them, loves them with my love. Meaning, I love that person. Who loves them? And anyone who hates them, I hate that person. Meaning, I dislike the person who dislikes them. So the Sahaba, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, Rahimallahu ta'ala, a great leader of the Muslims who came, you know, in the following generations, when he was asked, who's better, you or naming a few of the Sahaba, like Muawiyah, radiallahu ta'ala, people call you the fifth Khalifa. They call you the second coming of Umar. Right? Who is better, who is more virtuous, you or Muawiyah, radiallahu ta'ala, who was a Sahabi of the Prophet, and a scribe of divine revelation, Katibul Wahi, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he said something truly profound. He says that I am not equal to the dirt that was under the hooves of the horse that Muawiyah, radiallahu ta'ala, rode in battle by the side of the Prophet. A Sahabi is a Sahabi. And it befits us to recognize the rank and the virtue of a Sahabi. So I just reiterate once again that Sahaba are of great virtue and value. Having said that, what I'm talking about is that in that community, he was not seen to be one of the leaders or one of the most notable or remarkable people. But now consider this fact. So we've established the fact that Al-Hubab al-Munthir had nothing to, basically he was not a stand-up Sahabi. But consider the fact that the environment, the type of leader the Prophet ﷺ was, the culture that he had created, the impression that he had given his followers and his subordinates, that each and every single one of them felt completely empowered to come to him and to speak to him about anything and everything. Anyone could come and speak to him without feeling the least bit intimidated, without feeling the least bit, right, um, you know, uh, intimidated, or, or to feel the least bit marginalized, or unimportant. Not at all. But Hubab al-Munthir says, Ya Rasulullah, Messenger of Allah, may I say something? And of course he welcomed it. Number two, I also want a mark of a leader is also the impression and the training and the tarbiyah that he gives to the other leaders within his community. Within his, you know, dynamic, whatever it may be. It might be an organization, it might be a community, it might be the whole ummah. Right? But the other leaders, the team leads or the other leaders that he has created, that he's put into place, the culture that he's created, even the type of training he's given to them, and the type of culture that they continue to foster. Right? That tarbiyah has to be there. That training has to be there. That when Al-Hubab al-Munthir says, Ya Rasulallah, he says, Ya Rasulallah, you know, you look at his specific wording, he says, A-ra'ayta hadal manzil, amanzilan anzalakahullah. Right? That when he says, as a messenger of Allah, this place where you've stopped us, where we've camped out, is this a place that Allah has instructed you to? No other sahabi, no other companion of the Prophet ﷺ says, Hey, Hey, who are you? 
What's your name? Where are you from? When, when did you join us? I don't, I don't even know who you are. Like really? You have an opinion? Please, please enlighten us. Right? Abu Bakr has nothing to say. Umar has nothing to say. Uthman has nothing to say. Ali has nothing to say. Sa'ad bin Mu'ad has nothing to say. Sa'ad bin Ubadah has nothing to say. Miqdad bin Aswad has nothing to say. Oh, but Hubab has something to say. Hold on everybody. Stop the press. Hold the press. Hubab has something to say. Right? That was not the dynamic in that community. He was not ridiculed. He was not mocked. He was not reprimanded. He was not like, Oh, hey, hey, hey. Come here, come here, come here. Come here. T tell me, tell me. Right? Listen. Chain of command. You talk to me, I talk to him. Who are you? Right? It was not even like some type of disciplinary type thing. Like, listen, we're not saying what you don't have to, what you have to say is not important. We're not saying that. Nobody's saying that. But you have to follow the protocol, brother. Right? Achi. Right? You're supposed to you're supposed to talk to me and then I talk to him and then he talks to the big guy. Come on, get with the program. No, no, that was not the environment the Prophet ﷺ created. Right? And if I'm already, you know, if, if, if I can kind of even continue that just for a second and detract from that a little bit, this is kind of a problem we have. Do we have a need for greater organization and structure in our community? Absolutely. In our organizations, yes. Do we need more professionalism? Absolutely. Could we use a lot more strategy? Without a doubt. Right? Every single, you know, of one of our organizations or communities is like a case study for disorganization or a lack of organization, right? We are a model for our lack of organization. Don't get me wrong. We have a desperate need for more organization, more structure, so on and so forth. In, but here's the problem. In an effort or in a spirit, in the spirit of repairing that, remedying that, bettering that, what we do a lot of times is we kind of gravitate or we have taken like a lot of corporate culture, what might go on in companies, right, businesses, huge corporations, mega corporations. We take that stuff and we completely, 100%, wholeheartedly, you know, f fully, completely, we take it and we implement it. We implement it completely. And there's a huge problem there, right? And in a lot of times that corporate structure, we have all these things. Like, look, you have to have a hierarchy, you have to have, and even actually, by the way, I, I shouldn't even just, you know, discredit that. A lot of different organizational strategies and a lot of the books that are out there and the material that is out there, even some of them talk about the fact that there needs to be open communication. Anybody should be able to talk to anybody. Anybody should be able to send an email to anybody. Anybody should be able to approach anybody, right? Even a lot of organizational you know, uh, strategy, books and different uh, training and things like that, even they talk about some of this. So I'm not saying all of them are like this, but I'm saying sometimes we might come across something in a corporate culture that we view to be very successful, very operational, very functional. And we take that and we try to implement it. And in that culture, what we find is what I'm talking about. You have to have a hierarchy and a chain of command and you gotta have this and you gotta have all these formalities and all these different things. We have to understand fundamentally, the ummah is not a business. 
We have an inferiority complex because the ummah has not been run properly. Communities have not been run properly. So we obviously, we just look at businesses and we just feel inferior to them. But the ummah is not a business at the end of the day. Our bottom line is not money. Our bottom line are souls. We're in the business of saving souls. We're in the business of saving people. We're in the business of human beings. People. What did the Prophet tell Ali bin Abi Talib? Ya Ali, wahidan. Wahidan. He emphasized, Rajul means one man. Rajulan wahidan. If you could only save one man, then that's better than this whole world and whatever it contains. Mission accomplished. So we are not a business. We're not out to make money. That's not what we're doing. We need to follow the example of the Prophet ﷺ. And if somebody else along the way has something beneficial to us, that fits within the mold and the style and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, then we'll take it. فِيهِ خَيْرٍ Right? Any piece of wisdom, any strategy, is something that a wise person takes advantage of and picks up along the way. Sure. But not at the expense of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And that needs to be understood. And so the Prophet ﷺ created a culture, established an environment, a community, where a very, you know, um, a very, you know, uh, average common person from the community, a very, you know, nondescript individual from the community feels completely empowered to approach the Prophet ﷺ and engage him in a discussion. And nobody else from the community of the Prophet ﷺ objects to this. Why are you listening to him? He's a nobody. Why don't we, well, at least let's see what we think about this. Right, then it becomes that ego thing, right? That if the leader takes a suggestion from the commoner, then the other like, you know, people in the structure who might be, you know, leaders or might have some rank, are kind of like, well, who's this guy? Why are you taking? Let us check with us. Let's see if we agree. No, no, no. That culture just was not there. And then the Prophet ﷺ takes his suggestion. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to teach us a lesson so that we would not forget ever. Allah sends an angel with a validation of that man's opinion to the Prophet ﷺ. So there's a very profound lesson. And guess what? Al-Hubab al-Munzir, his name never comes up again in the seerah of the Prophet That's it. You contribute and you give. It's not like now he became some celebrity. Hey, by the way, remember Bradley Badr? Right here. Right? Now he's not Mr. Badr, by the way. Right? Al-Hubab the Badr al-Munzir. Then that's not it. He's not looking for any credit. He's not trying to, you know, position himself and and you know, you know, carve out a little position from. No, no, no. I serve. We all serve. We are all servants of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. We are all slaves of Allah. We are all servants of the community. We all follow the Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That is it. Right. And that is what's remarkable and beautiful about this particular instance and incident. Um, we're going to go ahead and stop here, inshallah. And uh, in the coming sessions, as we've talked about, inshallah, we'll continue discussing and talking about the Battle of Badr. Um, inshallah, 
uh, Eid is coming up, but because Eid is on the weekend, so inshallah it doesn't really uh, get in the way of us having Sira class. So inshallah we will continue with the Sira class on Tuesday, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to study the life of the Prophet And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the study of the life of the Prophet a great means of benefit for us and guidance for us. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.